Hello, Grace. This is Blake. I'm alongside Pastor Ryan. We are continuing to walk through our Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the Lord's Supper. This is chapter 30. This is eight paragraphs. Pastor Ryan, how you doing, brother? Why is this chapter eight paragraphs when the other ordinance, baptism, last week, paragraphs are are shorter and there's only four of them why is this chapter so much longer than the previous yeah we were talking about that briefly before we press record and i think it's important to note the length and i think it largely has to do with the middle paragraphs and what they're designed to do i think in a sense it shows us the importance of the lord's supper to the early particular baptists the writers of our confession uh but it 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 shows that they had to deal with a variety of things in their context. Uh, Puritan uh, kinds of theology coming out of the Reformation, and they had to say in a variety of paragraphs what the Lord's Supper was and what it wasn't. But the number of paragraphs shows that they took it very important, um, took it to be very important. You know, many of us grew up in churches where Baptist churches where the Lord's Supper might be practiced a couple times a year. But I think in these early particular Baptists, these Puritans from England, you will see that the Lord's Supper actually was quite crucial. Yeah. So the length has to do with having to say a lot of the things that it was not due to the Catholic Church. And we'll kind of walk through that. Okay. So let's get into this first paragraph then. Um, what would you like to, to, to say about this? What is the, the Lord's Supper? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the first paragraph reminds us that it is one of the two things that was instituted by Christ, um, that is an ordinance or sacramental. um, And it shows in this first paragraph what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is. Notice it says, to be observed in the churches and to the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance and showing forth the sacrifice of himself and his death confirmation of the faith of believers and all the benefits thereof, their spiritual nourishment. This is where we say that the Lord's Supper provides spiritual nourishment for his people and growth in him. So it is a means of grace ordained by Christ for his church. That's what that paragraph is teaching. Okay. Okay. And then we get into uh, some of the things that the Lord's Supper is not. Right. So... What would you like to highlight here? Let's just go quickly. Paragraph two, it's important to say that paragraph two is making the argument that in the Lord's Supper, unlike the Roman church, the Lord's Supper is not a mass where Christ is in any way sacrificed again, right? Right. Um, And that was necessary uh, to say it is a memorial of that sacrifice, but it is not a re-sacrifice or a re-lifting up of that sacrifice over and over and over again in the way that Rome had developed its theology by the 15 and 1600s. Um, so then they needed to say in paragraph three what um, is supposed to be done by the ministers. They are to bless the elements of bread and wine and thus set them apart for a particular use Um, And notice it's the ministers, it's the elders of the church that are to lead in this service. But then in paragraph four, this statement is meant to to show us what the uh, 
what the church was to do. And in this period of time in the Roman Catholic Church, there had been a whole history of denying the cup. You know, for a period of time um, in, in the medieval period coming out of that, there was almost this denial of the cup to the, to the laity, to, to the non-clergy. They just partook of the bread. And so the denial of the cup or the ceremonial lifting up of the elements in some way or worshiping them as if they were literally Christ's physical body, all of these things needed to be corrected. And that's what paragraphs three and four yeah. does. But paragraph five um, then reminds us, and we talk about this in terms of sign and things signified, that the outward elements of bread and wine, even though they stay in substance, what they are, that the bread doesn't change into the physical flesh of Christ, the wine doesn't change, um, they are sometimes called by that name, the body and blood of Christ. It is not wrong to repeat what Jesus says when we take the Lord's Supper. Take, eat, this is my body, yeah. right? Um, does that make sense so far? It, it does, and, and at the same time, it is a memorial. So you can say what you just said, and also maintain that this is a memorial. That is, Christ died once for sins. Yes, yes. But I would say the Lord's Supper is a memorial, but it is more than a memorial. Right, right. right. And I think you're helping us get into those next few paragraphs because there, while we want to say it's a memorial of the sacrifice, it's not a re-sacrifice, um, paragraph six says the elements don't change in their substance but then paragraph seven reminds us that when we eat of the supper, even though a previous paragraph says it's a memorial of his sacrifice, paragraph seven says, spiritually, we feast on Christ. And that's probably the paragraph that many of us who grew up in Baptist churches yeah. that weren't reformed oh, are yeah. not aware of. Listen to what it says. Worthy receivers, those taking the supper rightly, outwardly partaking of the visible elements of this ordinance, do then inwardly by faith, Really and indeed, yet not carnally, fleshly, and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified. Yeah. This is what is called the spiritual presence yes. view. Yes. This is the dominant reformed view that we do actually have Christ's presence in the supper, but it's not in the elements as if they change, nor is Jesus's flesh and blood some kind of somehow attached to those elements like the way the Lutherans believe it. But it's the Reformed view, which I think is the biblical view, that we're eating bread and we're drinking wine. But as we do that physically, spiritually, by faith and his spirit, we're feasting on Christ and him crucified. Yes. Right. And that's a crucial thing, which is why it's so important to both prepare for the supper well, but to get the Lord's Supper right. It is a spiritual feast. Hmm. Right. But then paragraph eight talks a little bit about how we should think about taking the supper, what is worthy and unworthy in the taking of the Lord's Supper. So the length <laughs> of this chapter is because there's a lot that needed to be corrected from the way that Rome and even some aspects of the Church of England in the 1600s were treating this meal. But some of us need this chapter to correct the fact that we've gone too far. We've made this meal into, ah, we're just remembering Jesus. No, there's more happening in the supper. And this chapter is very helpful for us. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, um, one, one highlight I'd just yeah. like to point out here that, that Christ consecrated bread and wine. Is it appropriate then to 
partake, for instance, as I've heard of some, substituting those things perhaps for Pepsi Cola and Cheez Its. Is that is that possible? Yeah. yeah, I remember actually that example. I heard of some African pastors when I was teaching in Africa on the sacraments. I asked them what they used for the Lord's Supper, and they said chips and Pepsi. Now, part of that was there may be a difficulty getting a hold of bread and wine, sort of, but that's what they were using. It was, it was it, chips and Pepsi? It was chips and Pepsi. That's literally what they were using. And I said, brothers, let's follow the scriptures. We are to use the fruit of the vine and bread insofar as we're able to find those elements. And of course, in that part of the world, bread was everywhere. So I think we need to understand that Christ instituted particular elements to be used. And so we shouldn't substitute you know, bread for Cheez-Its or potato chips. Um, we should have the fruit of the vine. I don't want to get into the debate of whether we should have grape juice or the Lord's Supper. I think, broadly speaking, both are fruit of the vine. Yes, there was... Grape juice or wine. Grape juice yeah. or wine, yeah. yeah. But we shouldn't substitute some other kind of beverage, like Coke right. or water. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, something's, something's missing when we substitute... Um, substitute wine for coca-cola for instance because even even just the 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 look of of wine um it, it's 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 something more it, it even even looks of blood more than coca-cola yeah. would, for and, and wine does it does something when it crosses your lips there right. is a there is a there's a physical reaction you know i prefer i you know i personally prefer wine over grape juice myself but i think both apply to that issue of the fruit, fruit of the vine. Um, but I think that Christ has instituted these particular elements. And insofar as we're able, we should use those elements. Yeah. Well, good thoughts. Thanks for sharing. And Grace, hope this has been helpful. Again, this is, uh, we are wrapping up our confession. And this is chapter 30. Hope you guys can uh, read it and enjoy this part of our confession uh, at some point this week. And Lord willing, we'll do this again soon. So we only have a few more chapters to go before we're all finished. All right, see you guys.